0: By the way, Pastor Josh is here today. Um, how many of you have ever thrown your back out? Okay. Okay, so he has a lot of company. He's, he's on the floor of his office in deep prayer and meditation, I believe. But he threw his back out this morning. And, uh, I mean, I remember throwing my back out, just taking a step forward, and boop, it's gone, you know. So, anyway, you can pray for him. And uh, we're going to talk about prayer today. So, several years ago, I was in a men's locker room at the health club, getting dressed after a workout. Those of you that go to a health club know that one of the hot topics of conversation is health. It's health. This is especially true for the over 50 crowd, which I joined a couple years ago. What are you laughing about? These guys talk about heart disease, cholesterol levels, they talk about losing weight, recovery from hip replacement surgery, and knee replacements. They talk about medications, physical therapy, exercise, sleep, and for some reason they always like to talk about gambling. I don't know why. Sometimes the conversations are very interesting. And this one particular day, I overheard a conversation about lung cancer. At least the man thought he had lung cancer. And all the scans and the tests that this guy had showed that he had a large, ominous spot on his lung. So he said, I went in for surgery. He said, when they cut me open, they found nothing. Then he made an interesting statement. He said, either the tests were wrong or I had a miracle. Either the tests were wrong or I had a miracle. Well, all the guys in the locker room had their opinion, including a few choice words about the lab and x-ray technicians. (laughs) But after I left, I wondered too, were the tests wrong or had he had a miracle? Today we're going to talk about the miraculous, divine intervention. Specifically, we're going to talk about prayer. This is our last message in this series on James divine intervention, specifically prayer, prayer prescriptions. We're going to talk about prayer and prayer for healing. We're not going to have all the answers when we're done, but hopefully we'll have a new and profound trust in God as a sovereign worker of miracles, a God who answers prayer, answers prayer. Please turn with me to James 5, James, the fifth chapter. It's page 980 in the rack in front of you, in the book in in front of you. And it'll be also be on the projection as we start with verse thirteen, James five thirteen. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? Elijah was a man like, just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. This passage is about prayer. Could you pull me down just a tad bit? Here we go. This passage is about prayer. What can we learn? James starts by asking three questions, and then he answers each of them. It's interesting. And I want us to look at each of the three questions today. The first one is Are you in trouble? Pray. Are you in trouble? Pray. How many of you can recall a childhood trauma of getting in trouble? My hands up. You got in trouble as a kid. Maybe you got caught in a lie or disobeying your parents. Maybe you broke something valuable or you lost a priceless collectible. What was our first inclination when we're in trouble? Hide, right? Hide. We got a quick hide. You know, hiding is genetic. Hiding is genetic. Hiding was passed down to us through generations. The very first people who got into trouble were Adam and Eve. They sinned, they broke God's rules. What did they do? They they hid. So that's kind of this natural response of, of hiding. James has a better idea, and God has a better solution. Are you in trouble? He says, Pray pray now the trouble james is speaking of here is most likely persecution as we go back to the first part of the the book of james it makes it very clear that these first century christians were experiencing tough times and what were they to do they were to pray pray turning to god turning to god when we're experiencing trouble any kind of trouble it's not time to hide from God. It's not time to hide from our fellow believers either. That's kind of what we do. It's time to pray, and pray. Prayer is just speaking to God. It's talking to God, and it demonstrates that we know that we need God, and He has the answer. Now, prayer is humbling. Prayer is humbling. In fact, it says in 1 Peter five, six, and seven, it says, "Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time." Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Turn to God, humble yourself, and cast your anxieties. Give it to God. How many of you, I know we're in Wisconsin, how many of you like to fish? Okay, a lot of people fish. Uh, I'm not a very good fisherman. And my first experience of fishing was growing up in southern Minnesota, and we go out on the lakes and fish. And we mostly use the bobber method. Now, some of you are—you cast and you fly and you troll and you do all these fancy things. I could do the bobber thing. Okay, that was about all I could could handle. So you basically put bait on the hook, cast it out, and you watch the bobber. Okay, but to be successful with the bobber method, you have to be patient. You cast and you let the bobber sit there. You have to. Wait. You have to wait. I wanted to reel in the hook every 30 seconds or so to see if a fish was on the end. But casting, you have to wait. And casting our anxiety means casting it, letting it go, and waiting. Waiting. Waiting until there's an indication of an answer. When we pray, we must cast, we let go, and we wait. And we trust. It's a hard lesson to learn. Are you in trouble? Pray. Don't hide. Pray. No matter what trouble you're experiencing right now, pray. Now, maybe you're not experiencing trouble. The next question James asks is Are you happy? Are you happy? Praise God are you happy? Praise God. The human tendency is to pray when things are going bad and forget when things are going great. Okay, We pray when things are going bad. We forget when things are going great. It says happy. Sing songs of praise. When we praise God when things are going well, we practice the belief that God is the source of all blessings. Now all throughout history, all throughout history there's a There's a pattern, an endless cycle. And we see this all throughout Scripture. We see it all throughout history. We can probably talk about it in each of our lives, too. God blesses people, okay? They get happy. They forget God. Then God brings trouble to bring them back into relationship with God. They repent and say, I'm sorry. They ask for forgiveness. They return to God. And then he blesses them again, okay? So God blesses them, they get happy, they forget God, he sends trouble, and we begin to repeat this cycle and we realize that we need God. They forget. If we praise God when everything's going great, we won't forget God. And if we forget, God will remind us. Just count on it. He'll remind us if we forget him. We need God, desperately need God. George Weigel wrote a book entitled The Cube in the Cathedral, Europe, America, and Politics Without God. He talks about atheistic humanism as it overtook Europe. And in the book it it says, even as thoughtful Europeans and Americans wrestle with the grave issues raised by Europe's, Europe's collapse of morale, its power deficit, and its depopulation, many European political leaders continued to insist that Only a public square shorn of religiously informed moral argument is safe for human rights and democracy. But precisely the opposite is true. There can be no true deliberation about the common good, any robust defense of freedom, without God. Without God. You don't need God. Europe said we don't need God. So they they tried to get it out of the public square. And Europe spent the last century trying to remove God from the public square. And they've had grave consequences. And the battle here is intense, trying to get God out of the public square. You can't talk about religious things on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, anything. If it's too religious, has too much of faith in it, or if it's too conservative, they they remove you. It's unbelievable. They're trying to remove God from the public square in the public discourse. Let me tell you something. It's not going to work. But they try. We know that our country desperately needs God. Prayer demonstrates we need God. Praise demonstrates we remember God. God. We remember God. Every time we come in here and we sing praises to God, the worship team spends this time every Wednesday night and Sunday morning preparing so that they can lead us into the presence of God so that we can remember God is good. Praising God. Critical that we remember. Are you happy? Praise God. Are you in trouble? Pray. Happy? Praise God. Now let's move on to the more complex, complicated Part of this passage. Third question. Are you sick? Are you sick? What do we do when we're sick? Pray. He says pray. But we're given a set of guidelines. Recognizing that prayer is the answer. That God is the one that heals. And God works through people. He gives us four guidelines. Four guidelines for prayer. The first guideline is to call for the church leaders. Call for the elders. Now, the elders in the early church were the spiritual leaders. These are the men of word and prayer. And if you look back in the New Testament, Acts 6 seems to be the beginning of the, the establishment of what they called offices. Elders and deacons. And guidelines are given in 1 Timothy and Titus for the qualification and the function of elders and deacons. We don't have time to go into that whole teaching, but the church Guideline: The guideline is to call for the spiritual leadership in the church. Now, there are official leaders. We have pastors and staff and board members. But many times people who function in spiritual leadership, ministry of the word and prayer, don't have official titles. That's okay. We don't have to have, everybody doesn't have to have an official title to exercise spiritual leadership. It says, call on the spiritual leaders when you're sick. People will ask, but when I'm sick, shouldn't I call the doctor? What does Pastor Mark know about medicine? Well, that's true. It's like the little boy whose dad was a pastor, and he had a doctor's degree in theology, and he said, my dad's a doctor, but he's not the kind that can do anything for you. (laughs) Modern medicine has brought us some incredible things. You look at what, what has happened over history, vaccines for polio, annual flu shots, penicillin, antibiotics for ear infections and pneumonia, surgery, radiation, chemotherapy for cancer, stem cell transplants, gene therapy. you can go on and on and on of all the the kinds of things, the therapeutics that that help us. These are all well and good, and yes, if you are sick, call the doctor, make an appointment that 's what we do. But what this reliance on modern medicine has done is it 's removed our focus from dependence on God to dependence on the doctor. One elderly woman was sick and unable to be helped by further medical treatment, and her daughter said, Mom, we've done all we can. Now we need to pray. She replied, You mean it's come to that? I believe God has given us a lot of scientific knowledge to help sickness and disease, but sometimes it has come to that. And what is that? Prayer. Prayer. And that's where we should start. That's where we should be. Seek medical treatment. Use common sense. But pray. Now there's, there's another extreme. too. Judy and I were participating in an uh, international Pentecostal women's conference down in Orlando, Florida. And I was walking between the hotel and the convention center when I came on an elderly woman who had collapsed on the sidewalk. She just collapsed. And she was surrounded by seven or eight ladies laying hands on her, praying in tongues. And I quickly asked, did someone call 911? No one had. So I did. I called 911. Yeah. If you come on an auto accident, by all means, pray for the injured. But... Please call 911. Get them to the hospital. There there has to be some common sense here. We are called to do all we can humanly do, but sometimes, as all of us know, that's not enough. Pray whether the person has the flu or is terminally ill. We must find a balance, realizing that God is the ultimate one who heals. God is the healer. I can't tell you how many times the doctors have been totally mystified with the condition. And we prayed and God answered. Finding a balance. Finding a balance. Are you sick? Call for the leadership of the church. This is human initiative based on faith and trust in God. The solution is not in human power but in prayer. God's power. And ultimately whether it's surgery or antibiotics, God is. The healer, the healer. There are arguments different places about physical healing in the Bible. One of the gifts that Jesus brought and bought with his shed blood, his death, burial, and resurrection, was physical healing. Some people say he came to just heal the world spiritually. No, he came to heal physically as well. In Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, it says this. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. They're spiritual. The punishment that brought us peace upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We have physical healing in his sacrifice as well. So are you sick? Call for the elders. Secondly, letter B, confess known sin. Confess known sin. 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Healed. Verse 15, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Now, this this is a huge topic. We don't have time to unpack all of it. But it includes the practice of confessing our sins to one another, which has a very powerful potential for healing. Very powerful potential for healing. And confessing our sins to God through Jesus, who is the only one who can ultimately forgive our sins. So why confession? Does sin cause sickness? And if we're sick, does that mean as some propose there's sin in your life? It can. Sometimes. Is all sickness due to sin? No. No, absolutely not. One writer says, James is not saying one's sickness is necessarily a result of sin. For he knew that when Jesus was asked if a man's blindness was due to sin, he answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. If you look at the book of Job, which looks like Job, looks like Job, he was told by his friends that the reason he was suffering all this is because he sinned. He had some awful sin in his past. And, of course, that's contradicted as you go through the book of Job. It's not true. On the other hand, one writer says, James is in agreement with other New Testament teaching, which sometimes associates illness and even death with one's sin. For example, as was the case with some in the Corinthian church who suffered physical judgment because of unconfessed sin in their lives when they partook of the Lord's Supper. You can look at that, 1 Corinthians 11. It's it's a little bit confusing. We covered that when I preached through 1 Corinthians. Confess known sin to God and make things right with other people. Sometimes those things can cause sickness. Third says, be anointed with oil. Oil. Oil, what's that about? What kind of oil? Pennzoil oil 1040. Castro 530, canola oil, olive oil, what kind of oil? Actually, honestly, any oil will do. Any oil will do, just like any water will do for baptism. People get baptized in salt water in in the ocean beaches, right? Anybody here get baptized in salt water in the ocean beach? We're a long way from the ocean. Okay, not nobody. Okay, well, that's that's fine. Some are baptized in fresh water of inland lakes or streams. How many of you have been baptized in a lake? Okay, good, awesome. How about in a chlorinated pool or hot tub? Okay, awesome. See, any any water actually will do. It's water. This is oil. This is oil. Um, God uses visible objects and visible actions to signify invisible realities. When we take communion together, the bread and wine signify the body and blood of Jesus. And it's more, it's more than just symbolic. Now, some denominations believe it's symb- only symbolic. We believe it's much more than that. That the real presence of Jesus is there in the elements, the, the, the bread and the, the juice. In baptism, water signifies washing and cleansing, bathing. The, the, the symbolism of death, burial, and resurrection. But it's more than just a symbol. There's actually something that happens when we get baptized. Something internal, something spiritual. It's more than just a demonstration. It's an act of obedience where we show and demonstrate what God has done internally, externally. The old dies and new is born again. In the Old Testament, there were a lot of things where God was present. Um, We have fire, the fire of the burning bush, where Moses saw that. The pillar of fire and the, uh, the pillar of smoke. Uh, there was a brass serpent on a, on a pole. All, in all of these, God was present in reality, not just symbolically. So when we're talking about oil or water or whatever it is used here, it's not just symbolism. It's God's real presence through these elements, whether it's water, oil, or fire. I'm not talking about holy oil or holy water. That's whatever. When used by faith, God's presence and power are present in these elements. In communion, the water and wine do not become his body and blood, but there's a real spiritual presence of Jesus in the elements. If you are anointed with oil at your request, James says this, letter D, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well it doesn't say the oil made him well nor the verbal formula made them well we don't do mantras and formulas it says the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well the lord will raise him up does that happen absolutely yes it happens many of you here this morning could testify of god's healing touch We had a woman in the congregation in Wichita, Kansas that was diagnosed with a cancerous tumor. It had been verified with a CAT scan. And some of us as leaders, the church, anointed her with oil and prayed for her the morning of her scheduled surgery. They went in and they found nothing. Was she healed? Yeah, we believe so. Now, here's the age-old question. People always wonder this, and it's a valid question. Why do some get healed and some do not get healed? Why do some get healed and some do not get healed? When Jesus healed the two blind men in Matthew 9, he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith will it be done to you. And their sight was restored. In Matthew 13, 57 to 58, it says, Jesus said and they, or they said, and they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Is it the amount of faith that makes a difference? You know, if you only have enough faith, that's the question. Well, you didn't get healed. You must not have had enough faith. No. No. Do I have sin in my life? Is that why I didn't get healed? No. No. I put this down. It's in your notes. Faith releases the power of God, but will never interfere with God's sovereignty. Faith releases the power of God, but will never interfere with God's sovereignty. Let me explain that. Some, like the Apostle Paul, God chooses not to heal and uses sickness For Paul, to keep him humble and dependent on God. To fulfill a higher purpose. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10, Paul writes, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. He had been lifted up into heaven and he had these incredible spiritual experiences. And, And he says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's not a cop-out. It's real experience in a real world. Some are healed. For some, God chooses not to heal. God allows some people to die. For some, God chooses to heal, to heal. His name was Sean, and her name was Christy. They were two bright, young, attractive young people, college-age students, 20 years old. I knew something was up when they dropped into my office one afternoon, both beaming with an aura that only comes with loving and being loved, they had decided, Sean and Christy had decided to get married. Would I perform the wedding? Would I do the premarital counseling? I said, absolutely. I'd love to do that. We scheduled the first premarital appointment several weeks out. Before our first counseling session, I received a phone call from Christy. Could she and Sean come in to see me? It was important My first thought was they had their first fight. That first one's terrible. You know, I I said, oh, they'll be fine. We'll get through this. I wish that was all it had been. They came in with serious looks on their faces. And they announced, Sean has leukemia. A very aggressive strain. He needs to go to chemotherapy right away, and he has to have a bone marrow transplant. Our discussion that afternoon was centered around whether or not they should get married before the transplant or after the treatment. We discussed the pros and cons of experiencing this trauma single or as a newlywed couple. As it turned out, the decision was made for them since Sean's health insurance would remain in effect only if he's still single. and The new insurance would not cover a bone marrow transplant since it was a pre-existing condition. We prayed, a lot of us prayed, we anointed with oil, we prayed some more. Sean had his first transplant, it failed. They immediately tried a second one. Sean never left, Fred Hutchison Cancer Hospital in Seattle. I was with he and Christy through the ordeal and with Sean, two hours before he passed away. And I was asking, why? Why, God? Why would you take Sean? He's only 20 years old. He's an engaged to a beautiful young lady. His whole life is in front of him. Why? I received the phone call at 2 a.m. Sean was in heaven, Christy was brokenhearted and devastated. Instead of a wedding, I did a funeral. Why? I will never know why God heals some and not others. There are open questions. We don't always know, and God doesn't always tell. Two years later, My phone in the office rang. It was Christy. She seemed happy again, alive and vibrant. She said, I met someone. Would you do the wedding? (laughs) Wow. I had the privilege of joining together a beautiful bride purified by tragedy, tragedy to a handsome young godly groom. Why does God heal some and not others? Actually, that's the wrong question. Why does God heal some and not others? The real question ought to be is my trust and confidence in God? Is my relationship with God right? Am I in total submission to God and His will to accept anything He allows or brings my way? If we do what our forebears did, we will ask why. We will question. We will complain. We will cry out to God. That's okay. God can handle it. Ultimately, ultimately, it is not for us to explain, but to trust. It's not for us to explain, but to trust. This is not A passive resignation, but it's an act of submission. See, prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Verses 17 to 18, it says, Elijah was a man like us, just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. The prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective. Are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Praise. Are you sick? Pray. Everything begins and ends with prayer. Everything begins and ends with God. God is the only one who can take what was meant for evil and make it good. God is the only one who can cause all things to work together for our good and his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God, a good God. And Lord, I don't know what everybody's going through out here today, but I do know that you care and you you know. And I just pray that you would speak to us today in a brand new way, that we would see what you're doing and that our trust would not be in ourselves not be in what we can see and feel and touch but the unknown in the God who loves us and cares for us and that whatever our need is that we would reach out and we'd pray and we thank you in Jesus name Amen Let's stand, shall we?